I've long been a proponent of using a sausage dog as some kind of some kind of pack mule. Imagine that Wait, a, a waistcoat, like a sausage <laughs> dog, a little waistcoat with Axis batteries and energy gels chasing down the trail. Hey, Pinkers, and welcome back to another episode of the PB Podcast, where we chat and sometimes argue, which I think might happen today, about the latest happenings, controversies, and especially new gear every week. And I don't know if you guys saw the homepage on Tuesday, but there was a new product release that checked off all three of those boxes. RockShox's flight attendant automatically adjusting electronic wireless suspension system. So today on episode 84, we're talking all things flight attendant. Now, Mike Casimir has spent the last month using this stuff on 170 millimeter travel enduro. So if you haven't seen it, his review of this stuff is up on the website right now. I have him here today. We're going to be asking him a ton of questions about how it all works, what he thinks of it, and if he's okay with having five batteries on his bike. But first, Casimir, I think there's this tension between sort of mountain biking and the technology that we sometimes use to get the most out of it. We we've have or we've had our human powered sport that sort of Kaz, it's all about like fitness and health and pushing your limits and trees and nature and all that kind of shit that we love. But there's also this technology that we use or that we can use that lets us ride faster and farther and just generally be better than we actually are. It seems like most of us are okay with using or at least wanting to use some of this technology and this gear, but some of us also get upset as soon as there are batteries involved, Casimir. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, because it, it, it's more complication, I think, for a lot of people and just your everyday life these days is so tied to batteries you're always trying to charge your phone charge your some people have electric cars like everything needs to be charged and mountain biking at its core it's kind of a nice simple sport if you distill it down you just pedal it's a chain drives the bike really simple really efficient so i think when you add these other complications in there it's just it gets kind of overwhelming it sort of i don't know i don't want to use the word purity but for some people that does kind of like take away from the purity of the sport you know yeah it feels like as soon as we have a battery, any battery or circuit boards or things like that. There's like, it's sort of like we've crossed the line in a way. Um, so James Smurthwaite isn't here with us today, but you know, we need somebody representing the queen. So I've got Henry Quinney instead. Henry, I want to get an idea of where you sit on the retro grouch scale. So I've got one question for you. Electronics on your mountain bike. Yay or nay? uh i'm you know there's so many things that we're obviously already passionate about bikes that's why we work in the bike industry like a lot of our listeners we find it so easy to be excited about bikes anything electronic i find it so hard to even have an interest let alone be excited mm -hmm. i find it to be so tedious it's like someone explaining explaining their tesla to you you just ah, oh, not gonna use the f word but something in my life i just i just switch off i can't do it man same though. <laughs> yeah. I did see a video though, like the Tesla plaid. That car looks like it goes real fast. Oh, I would drive Kaz, it. Don't do it, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, people are just turning off. Like it's oh God. I know. I just find it's it's levels of tedium hitherto rarely touched as talking about anything to do with a batch on a bicycle. Jesus wet. But anyway, that's All just right. me. What were you saying, Mike? Right. Yeah, okay. Well that, that's fair. 
All right. Because this podcast is full of dudes way too often and it needs to be far less of a logjam, we've also got Sarah Moore here to inject some class into this episode. Sarah is going to tell us about last week's news. But first, Sarah, I know that you've been using the Axis drivetrain for a long time now on a couple different bikes. And I'm just curious, have you ever been out on a ride and had your Axis battery die on you? Okay, so first of all, I have to say I'm always surprised how long it actually lasts. Like, I feel like I don't charge it that much for how long it actually does last. Mm -hmm. I think I've been stuck like once or twice, but one of the times I was with my partner Alex and he also had access drivetrain and he was ready to go home and I wasn't ready to go home. So I was like, how about you just go home in one gear and I keep riding up the climb trail with more gear. So if you have a friend with an access drivetrain and they want to go home, it's totally fine if you run out of battery. <laughs> and I also have the dropper post and the drivetrain. So I'm like, well, worst case, like I can, you know, use one battery between the two of them. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a really good strategy. If you ride with your significant other, you just buy two access drivetrains and that way you always have <laughs> spare batteries. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Uh, people love that. <laughs> you need two drivetrains. <laughs> I've kind of long been a proponent of using a sausage dog or some kind of some kind of pack mule. Imagine that Wait, a, a waistcoat, like a sausage dog, <laughs> a little waistcoat with Axis batteries and energy gels chasing down the trail. That's, Instead of that's a trail dog, he's going to get like one of those little wiener dog things. Like a dog, right? I really want a sausage dog. I really want one, and they're just the best. I mean, I can think of better batteries better trail dogs you know i used to wear i used I, I didn't wear it i used to put a little backpack on my shiba inu and i would put like my <laughs> pump and my and a tool and my car keys in there but i don't know if you know shiba inu they're terrible dogs they just run away so it wasn't good also how when much we, is a battery weigh like you need yeah, a dog to carry these henry <laughs> no i just grams. didn't want anything on my pockets in my pockets well, when we were giving brian all that crap about putting his key in his shoe. How did it's we never give you weird. crap about putting your key on your dog? What if the dog runs off? <laughs> but she did. That's exactly the problem. <laughs> that, that exact thing happened. And then I spent about an hour looking for... Anyways, <laughs> if anybody else makes their dog carry their tools and tubes and keys, let me know. I think it's a great strategy. Sarah? Can you tell us about the news? I bet we're going to start off with some sort of fancy suspension thing, eh? Yeah, the biggest news leave. You already stole my thunder for it in the intro here. But yeah, RockShox has released their new electronically controlled suspension flight attendant. Apparently, it's been in development for nine years. Is that as long as you've been at Pink Bike, Mike Levy? I think that's as long as Kaz has been. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm coming on 10. So yeah, nine. So yeah, when I started, they started working on this and it just came out. That's crazy, Kaz. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've had three three jobs in that time. So yeah, one person has been working on this for nine years, which is pretty impressive. And uh, we'll get it more into it later because like I said, it's the biggest news of the week. Both Levy and Kaz wrote articles about this. I mean, when's Double the last whammy. time both of you did that? I mean, actually... When's the last time that Levy wrote an entire article about something? This is big. I mean, that's, yeah, <laughs> I'm that's getting back into the, the string of things. <laughs> He's practicing. <laughs> Anyways, just as an overview, uh, the whole idea behind flight attendant is simple. Make your mountain bike pedal better while prioritizing the downhills. RockShox approach is simple too. Add compression damping to make that happen. 
It's worth noting that flight attendant is for enduro and trail bikes. It's not for short, uh, short travel cross country rigs. And for that reason, it actually defaults to being open rather than firmed up. So if you're descending, it should stay open and work like normal suspension. Really interesting. You can actually just go out and buy flight attendant right now. I don't even have pricing on it to buy it just as is. Uh, you can only get it on specific models from Canyon, YT Industries, Trek, and Specialized. Why do you think it's like those bikes that were chosen? Do you have any ideas that? Uh, part of the reason would be compatibility. The The shock has a, a bit larger silhouette, and then that control module hangs off the back of the fork. And that can actually come into contact on the down tube of some bikes. I'm not exactly sure which ones. And then the shock, obviously, because it's a little bit bigger, it doesn't fit everything. So that's part of the issue. And then the other challenge is right now, it's just hard to find any bike parts, period. Well, one of the first bikes that we spotted flight attendant on was a specialized enduro at the EWS race. Uh, and so it seems fitting to talk about the last EWS race of the season. Uh, that took place last weekend in the Tweed Valley. And Martin Mays took his first EWS win, I think it was since 2019. So you always think of him winning a lot, but it's been a while actually since he's been on the top step. It's been the Richie and Jack Moyer show this year. And then Bex Verona took her first ever EWS win, which is pretty exciting. But the big news from the race weekend was that Richie Rude, and I'm going to mispronounce this, I think it's Lavimir Lukasic. They were both disqualified. Is that Way how you better pronounce than it? I would have said. Yeah. <laughs> I think that seems right. S-L-A-W-O-M-I-R. Slavomir, I think. Yeah. Um, so they were disqualified for riding outside of the course markings. And did you guys see that video where there's the gates down the middle and then there's the course marking flag tape to keep the spectators away on the, on the sides? Um, so it was a little bit confusing, but apparently it was quite clear. The managers had told the riders that they're supposed to go between the gates from the video, these two riders really did not go where they were supposed to. Um, do you guys think that it should have been a penalty or was the disqualification fair here? I think there was. there's only one penalty that should have been handed out. It's pretty harsh. I think they should have made, you know, Richie Rude ride a canyon strive for the race. <laughs> I think, I mean, it's harsh, maybe worse than a disqualification, but I believe it's even got... Is it pole shift of the technology? I think it would have even been okay. It's got everything you need, really. Yeah. I, Welcome to Jack's world. I, I feel I feel bad oh for God, these guys. Oh my God, he deserves to win this thing. <laughs> I know that, I mean, if we've all, if you've been in a race situation and you're trying to think, well, you're also going way too fast, almost out of control and breathing through your eyeballs. I mean, it, it looks like an honest mistake to me, Kaz. It, obviously, he didn't do it on purpose. Yeah, I think a, pen, a penalty seems fair. I'm not opposed to the disqualification, though. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I understand all the, like when you look at it, even just thinking of what was going through his head, like you're going and you're on the other side of the gate. What did he think those gates were there for? Like just for fun? Like they just put these there for like funny obstacles and he found a secret line. I don't know. Like <laughs> that's one of the things that annoys me about enduro racing in general. There is a lot of kind of pushing the rules, pushing the boundaries, finding the things that are inside the tape, but allowed. And I know it's part of this sport and kind of how it goes, but. I think sometimes people just try to push it too far. So, yeah, I mean, a DQ is pretty harsh, but it was pretty obvious. It wasn't like they were tight little gates. It's like everybody except two or maybe there were a couple more did this. But, I mean, and also, we should to be fair, Jack still beat Richie on that stage by like 3.5 seconds. So, good job, Jack. <laughs> That's the question, isn't it? Because there were only two disqualifications, but I've heard there were more than there were other riders that did it 
Yeah. Were they on video? I don't know. Like, that's like a... The lack of proof? Or was it a case of, you know, the fact that maybe it was just somebody like, you know, making the numbers in the field or whatever? But I don't know. I think, I think a disqualification. I think it should have been a hefty penalty. I think it should have been like 10 or 15 seconds per gate. And at least it would have had some drama to the race. But like, who's who's winning if we just disqualify him, you know? I don't think it's, I don't know. Like yeah, it's a split a second mistake. Bit, a bit of an unfortunate way for the series to end because there was no battle between Richie Rude and Jack Moyer. So I think heading into this race, there were 80 points apart in the overall qual- uh, series. And so either of them could have kind of won with that last race. So it's always exciting when there's the final race for the medals and then there's also the final race for the overall standings. But yeah, before the race started, they were really close. And then uh, after the the pro stage, uh, it was pretty obvious that Jack Moyer was going to win the overall uh, for the men. And then Melanie Pouget was going to win it for, for the women. So there wasn't that, you know, who's going to win the overall right down at the last, uh, the last race. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is that Evan Wall from Pink Bike Academy finished sixth in the pro stage on Saturday and 14th overall in the race. I think he's just 22 years old. I think he has a bright future. Pretty cool that he came through Pink Bike Academy. Did you guys think that he'd do that well in an EWS race after watching the first season of Pink Bike Academy? I I honestly had no idea he was that fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't either. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's really fast. Like I, you know, watching the Pink Bike Academy is it quick? But I was like, oh, okay, he'll probably be like, I don't know. I kind of figured he'd be like the 50th place guy. You know, like solid, yeah. but not up there. But like. That, that result is really good. So it'd be cool to see what he does next year. Like I figure, I think with some of these guys, once they figure out the kind of the, the key to placing up high, they can tend to stay there. It seems like it's like breaking out of that mid pack to the top 20 is hard, but once they do it, a lot of them can maintain, which would be cool to see if he can. Yeah. Cause he almost did it like within the four races that he did. He only did the second block of races. And I think that mm-hmm. first one, he was maybe around 50, which is like super respectable. And you know, there's such a huge field in the EWS. I'd be happy with that. Yeah. (laughs) And then the second race, I think he was like top 30 and then, yeah, up to 14th. So, yeah, season two, Pink Bike Academy launches at the end of the month. So hopefully we find another super fast person through that. I remember when I did my interview for Pink Bike, one of my interviews with, it was with you guys with Brian. And you said, how do you think you'd get on, um, like, uh, like the Whistler EWS? And I said, joking. I said, I'll be happy with anything in the top 10, like joking. And I don't think Brian knew I was joking and had to be like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not that deluded. (laughs) 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 Like I'd be happy to, you know, yeah, fuck, so funny. Maybe top 10 in the EWS 80 or the amateur, you know, you don't have to specify you're in the pro category. (laughs) Some of those people absolutely rip around. (laughs) That's true. Um, Okay. So with race season just about wrapped up, it's time for the beginning of racing rumor season. Doesn't sound like Henry is going to be signed on any EWS teams anytime soon. (laughs) Um, James tapped up all of his sources for a first roundup of rumors and he got some really good ones. Uh, We heard a rumor that Luca Shaw could be moving from the syndicate to Specialized. He actually started his World Cup racer career with Specialized in 2013 as a junior. And then Loris Vergier moved to Trek last year from the syndicate. So maybe Luca Shaw is moving on as well. And then with a potential spot to fill in the syndicate. Remember, guys, these are just rumors, but there's a potential spot to fill. Uh, Lori Greenland could be moving over to the syndicate from Mondraker. Although he absolutely did not confer the, confirm that rumor when we asked him about it. 
He said, funny you should ask. I'm actually making the big switch to pro swing ball for 2022. Uh, watch for that announcement. I don't even know. What is pro swing ball? Is I don't like know, baseball? but I wouldn't be good at it. Yeah. Yeah. Is it baseball? <laughs> like with <laughs> Hand-eye coordination required? I thought Henry would know this. No, Hand- swing ball is not like a British I, thing. Yeah, you, it's like basically, it's like lonely one-man tennis. Where you have the pole on the ground, then you can just oh, hit it down. Yeah. Oh, uh, tetherball. We call it tetherball. Tetherball. <laughs> yeah, I could be a pro tetherball player. That'd be a good solo sport, <laughs> just like by yourself. Yeah. Um, and then a couple of EWS rumors that we had are that Florian Nikolai is moving on from Trek and that Martin Mays could be moving to Arbea. So, yeah. Any of these rumors seem particularly likely oh, to you guys? A fun fact about Martin Mays Intel GT moved away from the iDrive system. Because he'd always been sponsored by GT, you know, since his, since he was basically a child, it was the first time he'd ridden anything other than iDrive. That would have been a crazy moment. Like, oh my God, a four bar. What a thing, you know? <laughs> it would have been really... So you don't think, I mean, if he, yeah, that's, that's the one that seems kind of unlikely is if he's been with GT for his entire career. I don't know if he'll be, he'll be moving on. I think if you've had success with a brand for that long, it seems unlikely that he would be moving on. So maybe he's just shopping around and seeing what he's worth. Yeah. Yeah, he does have a kid now, so maybe he needs some more money. <laughs> that would be that'd be a hard change. You basically growing up like it'd be like sort of like how Emily Batty came up on the Trek grassroots team and ended up on the Trek World Cup team, and now she's racing for Canyon. Mays has been with GT since since he was born. Yeah, like the Athertons found him in a field somewhere and brought him in, right? Like, that, like, the story, like floated in a little basket down the river, and then they're like, "Look, it's Martin Mays." <laughs> I think that's what happened. But you not think that like after that long with one team, one setup, however good it is, you know, you probably you're gonna be due a change eventually. There are so many. Yeah, some more you know, gas for the fire. Some more gas for the fire. Yeah, and I got a feeling like Orbea seem to be throwing like the kitchen sink at stuff. You know, they really get into it. Eh? So it could be a um, could be a good mix. Well, before we get too deep into rumor season, we do have Red Bull Rampage kicking off this week. And the riders are actually already in Virgin, Utah, and they're beginning to dig their lines. And there's only 15 riders this year instead of the usual 2021 20, that we saw in 2019. Uh, Brendan Fairclaw won't be competing after a nasty injury at Lenzerheide. And then Brett Reeder actually just withdrew this week as well with a knee injury. Uh, I think he was hoping to come back in time after that injury, but doesn't sound like he'll be able to make it back. That means that Reed Boggs and Thomas Janan are in, along with a bunch of veteran Red Bull Rampage riders and two rookies, Braje Vestivic and Jackson Riddle. Uh, can we just all admit that we're very eager to see Vestivic? Yeah, <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> down there. It's yeah. so oh, bad. <laughs> I already saw uh, like some footage of him just riding in the desert and like kind of getting used to it, the, oh. the dirt, I guess. And it was an insane huck that he just, yeah, like getting getting used to it and i was like this is gonna be really exciting maybe really scary <laughs> sarah you're going down there aren't you is, have you ever been down there before yeah i went down in 2019 for the first time so this will be yeah the second time we're going down with the video crew a couple photographers and then yeah i get to go and see it live which is yeah it's scary it's just scary. walking around <laughs> yeah just walking around you're like uh i can't go down there or there or there or or anywhere because this is all cliffs so yeah speaking of which did you guys see jackson riddle's 50 foot huck to flat crash earlier this week not good monstrous yeah very scary i can't even imagine coming off the roof and then realizing you're not going to hit your landing at all and just 
I don't understand how these guys walk away from these crashes. Like, that would break all the bones of my body twice. Kaz, do you remember doing things and landings being flat and just not caring? Like, do you remember we were just like, yeah, whatever. Like, I remember riding off of outhouses, like the roofs of, of outhouse washrooms to like literally uphill landings. You yeah. know, it just didn't matter. We didn't care. <laughs> I know, but I definitely never went 50 feet to flat. Like, no, more like God, picnic no. tables and like maybe eight feet to flat was like solid. But more than that, yeah, yeah this thing definitely miscalculated. It's kind of too bad because it sounded like some, a ramp company was brought on to like custom make the ramp but apparently the calculations <laughs> were off a little bit because definitely didn't work like it was supposed to oh uh, yeah i hope that doesn't happen to any of that's the thing i'll like watching all the riders guinea pig their lines at rampage is absolutely terrifying because you know nobody's ever ridden this thing before you don't know if it's going to work and you judging the speed and everything so yeah absolutely terrifying i'm really glad he walked away Let's finish off with some new bikes. Uh, Santa Cruz just released a new Chameleon. It's been updated to have longer and slacker geometry, of course. It's almost two and a half degrees uh, slacker, and it now sits at 65 degrees. There's also an updated dropout design. Um, does that mean that the 29er and the mullet version can have exactly the same geometry with those dropouts? Yeah, I think so. As far as I can tell, yeah, it's the same. So you can just pick your wheel size and everything else should be the same. Um, we also spotted a couple of prototypes at the final EWS of the season. Uh, Deviate have a new 165 millimeter high pivot machine on the way. Apparently there's a production version of this bike that will be released in early 2022. And Joe Nation was racing on Pole's 190 millimeter travel prototype, the gold now frame. Bike I wanted to hear about, Sarah. <laughs> it's, it is also one of the wildest, craziest looking things. It's so ugly that it's not ugly, Henry. Would you agree? I actually, I know what you mean. It, it becomes to a point, it's like those models that have, like those catwalk models that have really peculiar faces, but they're so like angular that they look really good looking. It's similar to that. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Yeah, it looks crazy. And it's something, it kind of looks like a 90s, like when everybody was making weird things back in the 90s. And it reminds me of that. So I like the look. The gold might be a bit much for me, but the, the overall look is, yeah, so ugly that it looks good. I mean, it's just great to see, you know, the new Deviate with a high, high pivot idler. We've got a big gold polar, however, 180 mm travel. It's great to see you getting excited, like enduro bikes for you, Mike. Like, <laughs> yeah, these, these are right up Levi's alley. Tailor made for the Levi experience. <laughs> I just like it because it's different. I mean, the thing is, I I like the fact that, as I as I always say, he's out there, Leo's out, Leo is out there. He might be a little bit crazy. But look what he's making. It's really interesting, neat stuff. And Kaz, we should definitely get one of these. Yeah. I just I just think he's probably done, for the color scheme, he's probably put out a survey online about how it should look, the color, yada, yada, yada. And it just happens that only one person's answered it. Answered it and it's been the Sultan of the <laughs> It was Pinot. Mike Levy. Uh, gold, yeah. gold, <laughs> I wouldn't get the gold one. The gold is a bit much. I would, I would definitely bike, go gold silver. Gold drivetrain. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Subtle. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the questions. And the first one is from Suze18. He wants to know what is the deal with Presta valves? Why are we using these things? Uh, he says that for enduro bikes, Schrader valves are better. So, Henry, what is the difference? Pop quiz. Don't look at what I've written down. What is the difference between Presta and Schrader valves? Why do we use Presta valves, Henry? Presta, because. 
you press the the valve in. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I tell you. Sue's 18. <laughs> yeah. Sue's 18. The deal is Schrader valves use a spring to close the valve. And that means that when you inflate the tire, you need to overcome that spring to put the air pressure in, which, which makes it a little bit harder to get air in. Uh, the other issue is that spring can get fouled up, especially with tubeless sealant and gunk like that. And also, way back in the day when rims were really skinny, uh, you might not have wanted a massive hole in your rim for the valve. You wanted a smaller hole. Um, I don't really think that's an issue at all these days. But those those are the reasons why we use Preston. They're, they are pretty good reasons. Kesmer, have you ever heard of a Dunlop valve? I had well, I have heard of it, and I had to like look it up and see how they work. It's some European thing that people use over there. How, do you know about yeah, them, exactly. Henry? Yeah. Do you use Dunlop valves when you're backing? It rings about working at a bike shop. You will get someone every now and then that asks for Dunlop valves. Yeah. Isn't yeah. it like it's like a Presta? Mm-hmm. Sorry, it's a Schrader, but then it's got thread on the outside, and it's really long, like a really long mm-hmm. stem. It's a bit. Yeah, and you can inflate yeah. it with it a Presta. It looks Presta like it's something pump. to do with woodwork, even though it's not. <laughs> Yeah, you can yeah. inflate inflate with a press to pump and then the way that it closes is it uses like a little tiny rubber tube inside and it just collapses and holds it in and then when you pump the air forces that little little tiny tube open but not all that reliable. Anyways, next question is from D Wojo. He says he has a podcast idea. What bike related shit are you really nostalgic about? What do you wish still existed? And what are you glad is dead and buried? So for me, it's social media. I sort of miss the days pre-social media, like when you used to go for do like a super gnarly ride and you didn't tell anybody about it. What about you guys? What do you miss? I missed Modest Bike magazine. Oh, yeah. modest bike yeah that yeah. magazine was good like emor i think he's over in japan now doing shimoda bags but that was his little magazine it was just kind of like a little core niche magazine that came out of pemberton area and i don't know that was like at that time it just captured what was happening in like the sea to sky corridor and like some of the pictures and stuff and there was like to me that was mountain biking in that era so yeah i kind of missed that i missed that magazine what about you sarah what do you hearken back to with fond memories Oh, I know my my history books never go back as far as uh, yours, but they do go back before social media. That's a good one. <laughs> Going out on a ride and you know not having, um, yeah, not having to take photos. Um, although I kind of like that part, so maybe I don't. I'm not. I'm not too mad about social media. Um, we don't have to post the photos. You can still take them. Just I still post. take lots of photos. I don't just don't necessarily stop post. so much to take them. That's what gets me. Just keep rolling. <laughs> Not you specifically, Sarah. But. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I feel like there used to be the the like test of metal and like some of those races that have like kind of come and gone. And I feel like they used to be a lot gnarlier than some of them are today. So mm-hmm. I, I would... gnarly. How do you mean? Not technically. That's for sure. No, I, no. I remember looking at like the first time I ever heard about the test of metal. I was like, that sounds so hard. And then I actually did it in the last year and um, it wasn't as hard, but 
as I thought it was going to be, but I think... Well, I think your perspective changes. That's true. I wish maybe I wasn't so good at mountain biking and so all those (laughs) those cross-country races were more technical than they are. (laughs) Some people people might say the 68 kilometers of fire road is gnarly, but... I miss when I thought that was the gnarliest form of racing. <laughs> yeah. Henry, what are you what are you nostalgic for? Oh, you know, I'd like to wouldn't it be cool to track down some of the bikes of your past that you thought no. at the time were really Terrible. good? And I'd like to compare We did an, an episode on that. Yeah. We decided most of them deserve to be in the garbage. <laughs> yeah, but I really would like to there's one or two bikes I would like to find again, because at the time I thought I, I felt just as strongly how good they were. What but bikes? Do, I'm interested to know what I bikes say you're wrong about. I was about. a 2009, and you're going to laugh, Marin Attack Trail that came with a 66 degree head angle. It came with a Lyric. It came with a one by, and in 2009, and it was like really good. I thought it was amazing. Um, and I don't think it'd probably be very good now, but at the time I just thought, this is brilliant. <laughs> then, yeah, um, the blue and white one and with also the kind of funny a, suspension design. It had the, yeah, that quad, yeah, yeah. quad like link, I think. Sean and March was, was riding for him back then, I think. Yeah, and it just... Yeah, it was really weird looking bike, but I just, I would love to try it again. And um, probably a 2014 or 15, the first generation Orange 5 650B, which I took over to New Zealand with me. And maybe 2013. And it was just amazing. I had so much fun on that bike. And Henry, you could just buy a new one and see how it, see how it runs. <laughs> yeah, they I'm trying to get hold it. of one, eh? Just, I'm, I'm, I'm just keep... joking, Orange. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just want to have a water bottle. That's all I want. Yeah. Give me a water bottle. They now. haven't figured that out yet. That's yeah, twenty twenty five. They say. But when you, when we get an orange five with electronic suspension on it, imagine that. Just the the clashing of two, <laughs> cult, of two <laughs> <Yeah>. cultures. <laughs> well, if we're talking about being nostalgic, I think there are a lot of people that are nostalgic for the days when things were simpler. Um, you know, Kaz, like the days before we had battery-powered, wireless, self-adjusting suspension that adjusts as you ride, which is exactly what the flight attendant system does. And that's what we're going to talk about next. Kaz, I remember hating the idea of using a simple bike computer. Do you remember like a, a cat-eye bike computer and the wire would go down and you'd be looking at your speed and it wouldn't be working and you'd be like, oh, I need to stop and like move the magnet on the spoke closer to the fork pickup. Do you remember those days? I do remember those days, yeah. <laughs> we, those were the good old them. days. We didn't, we, we didn't even know we were in the good old days. <laughs> yeah. They're not that. I, remember, I do. I do remember that as well. Even having, yeah, adjusting the little batteries, so they line up just exactly perfectly. Don't miss right? that. And here we are now with self-adjusting suspension that changes the compression settings as you're riding. Kaz, can you give me a basic breakdown of what flight attendant is, what it's supposed to do, and what type of rider it's for? Sure. Uh, I mean, the basics is like we said, it's it adjusts your suspension electronically and is wireless. And what it's doing as you're going, it's it has sensors in the fork and in the shock. And also there's a pedal sensor that goes inside the, the spindle. So it knows if you're pedaling um, and it kind of knows where the bike is in space. So it knows if you're going uphill, knows if you're going downhill. So all those sensors work together to decide which mode the suspension should be in, whether that's pedal uh, lock or fully open. So the default is fully open. So say your batteries die or whatever happens, the, the it reverts to fully open. So it'd just be like your typical suspension. But, um, but as you go, basically it adjusts according to the terrain and to, to the, your pedaling input. So you're climbing up a fire road, it's going to firm up, be in that lock position. 
as soon as you go downhill, it opens all the way up and you have normal suspension uh, designed. Typically you'd think this would be something good for an XC bike where they're all about efficiency, but RockShox went about this a little bit differently and is designed more for longer travel bikes where it's like a trail bike or an enduro bike bikes that tend to be a little bit more fo focused on the descents. And this is designed to kind of improve their pedaling performance while still maintaining that descending performance. Mm -hmm. I want to read a comment. This comment was on your review of flight attendant Kaz. This is from Lawrence VR. He says, quoting here, too bad. This is basically a little motor turning your compression dial. Nothing special. If only it could rapidly adjust pressure, compression and rebound, it would be somewhat interesting. Uh, this is just for people who don't mind spending 2K extra to not have to flick a lever. Uh, so Lawrence VR, in my mind, this is quite a bit different. So back when we we knew something was coming, but we didn't know what it was, I suspected that, that, that that's all it was, was a Loco. But Kaz, in my mind, what sets, it's, what sets this apart from it just being like a simple lockout is how, is how it's constantly adjusting itself on the trail you're not a lockout just locks your suspension out this is something that if you're on rolling terrain it's constantly changing isn't it and it does it fast and i mean i only had one ride on it kaz you had a lot more so i think you could speak to this better it felt pretty dang seamless to me didn't it yeah it really seems like if you're going to go on a regular bike that just has a lockout say on the fork or the shock and you if you adjusted it as many times as this system does on a ride people would think you were crazy because you'd be constantly like bending over flipping your lever sitting up bending over like you'd be look like a crazy person so um and that's kind of the beauty of this you can just ride and it does its thing there are some downsides we'll get into later but as far as the ride feel goes um it does what it's supposed to like it's it is seamless like you said so just to put one a question to that mm -hmm. In regards to uh, Lauren's comment about rapidly adjusting pressure, compression, and rebound, is that something you, you would ever want? Because surely sags related to body weight, rebounds related to spring rate, which is related to body weight, and compression is there to to complement the, the the downstroke. So, do you think you would like in your imagination? Did you think, oh, as you're riding this, if only you could incorporate another adjustment on the fly? No, definitely, definitely not. You would never want your rebound to change. That's how your bike reacts, comes back from impacts and, and your input. And that needs to be how you expect it to be when you're going off of jumps and drops. Kaz, you would never, ever want that to change. And the same goes for your spring rate. And the important thing here is that it is changing your low speed compression damping, but it's only doing it when the bike is going down the hill, Kaz, correct? uh no not it's not changing when you're going downhill it's when you're like flat or uphill basically like when you're going downhill it's open yeah well yeah, yeah. it opens that's what i mean it's changing to open on the down right right yeah exactly. so the bike is going to act how you expect it to act yeah like i i even took this last weekend i got a couple extra days with the bike before the review went up uh, i took it to the whistler bike park and i purposely left it in the like the full automatic setting because so I was kind of wondering what would happen. Like, would I be riding A-line and have it suddenly lock out? Because there's some pretty big lips and things that go uphill. Um, and it was totally normal. Like, I didn't have, I had zero issues. I did a ton of laps both days. And it it was kind of a, a good confirmation to me. Because even when I initially started riding it, there are some trails around here that are just jump lines. And I was using the manual mode to switch it to full open because I was a little concerned that it might do something weird. But then, um, yeah, I Whistler is a pretty good confirmation that it, at least it seems 
definitely smart enough to be able to handle that uh, without issues. But did you try pedaling off any of those uh, jumps, like the little ET <laughs> thing, not. you know, like they do in races? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> not a full test that cat. <laughs> not a full test. I should have pedaled up the lift of the jump and seen what happens. <laughs> it probably knows when you're in the air. I guess, yeah. You'd probably I wonder if an ET, that. if I could ET enough, maybe you could make it go, but it would take something <laughs> special to do that. <laughs> so apart from, it's obviously a very different system. It's got loads of gubbins on there it's it's setting itself out with lots of you know unique selling points etc is it actually better do you think though is, is it just merely different because that's surely at the, at the core of axs for instance electronic drivetrains are they different or are they better for me actually i'm not i've actually got a bike at the moment where i finally got an x axs which is actually really just good say axis axis is it axis i was yes axis it always you know bit... it's Axis. I don't. Well, the thing is, <laughs> Axis. Axis for me just has connotations of of evil. Yeah, you don't yeah. really say that in a complimentary sense. Like, oh, the good old Axis group. No, ooh, ugh. it's a bit. I think Axis is a bit more navigates the of evil bit. <laughs> no, I do not think anything evil. Just say Axis. Right, okay. But in my head, every time I say Axis, in my head, I'm going to say it, my inner monologue of evil. I feel yeah, like yeah. it's easier to say. It's like two syllables versus three syllables too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So <laughs> Axis, I have had, I haven't always had the most, so I had a assistant that had the wireless road bike drivetrain, the first one, which is pretty crap. I've had bikes where it's just been an awful shift. We had that specialized e-bike on field test where both Matt and I thought the shift was appalling. I don't know why, it just was terrible. The things are always in the way. I don't know, man. And like, so I finally got one. I don't... I think we also... The shifter, the paddle, I believe you might even call it, which is like quite cumbersome. I like the no cables, Mm -hmm. but... And I appreciate it's a very different thing. I'm still not entirely convinced that it's better. I got on this new bike I've got at the moment, which has got... Axis, and it was actually very, very good, I've got to say. But that's one in three. Although I think field test is kind of like a unique setting because, like, the axis might feel like the paddle shifter is different from the other ones. So it's harder to use. But if you just use that, you get used to it. I think, like, anything. I would disagree. I think I, we had have that you ever bike. just used it? <laughs> we had, I, it, had it back at home and I was riding it around town, etc., just to try and find a better set. But it was very uncomfortable. I would, I would agree that an axis drivetrain. I mean, a, a, an XTR drivetrain, it shifts better for sure. Yeah. I would say, especially under load, I love the fact that the Axis stuff is wireless. But yeah, advantages, like performance advantages, that's a harder sell if we're talking the Axis drivetrain. But Kaz, if we're talking flight attendant suspension that uses the Axis system, could you speak to any advantages that there might be and possible disadvantages on an enduro bike? Yeah, I mean, we'll start with advantages. I think the advantages would be, say you do, you're do, you on a ride where there's a lot of different terrain changes, not just a straight up a fire road and bomb down a descent on the other side. If it is kind of rolling terrain or mixed terrain, uh, it is going to give you more efficient feel. You can adjust how efficient it actually, like how much it prefers that lock position. So I think my review, I mentioned that I went on a ride with some buddies. I thought we were going on like a, a bigger bike ride and they showed up on an Epic and a Spur. I was like, oh, crap. Well, I've Classic. got this fancy bike. I need to ride some more miles. So like, I pushed the little bias button. That's what they call it. And there's five different bias settings. So I made it so that it prioritized lockout as it's like as it's most the setting that it most wanted to go into. And it definitely makes that enduro pedal better than it ever could. 
Um, it still doesn't change it. it to what does it pedal like though? Like, could would you say it's like a? Is it like a hundred mil XC bike or like is it like a takes it from a one seventy to like a just like a one fifty or can you describe yeah, what the firm feels to, like? Yeah, I'd say more like a yeah we'll say 140 150 bike it's kind of hard to parse it down into like exact millimeters but it just makes it so that when you're standing up and sprinting you know it's locked out in most cases so the firmer feel it does the fork as well so the funny thing is that there's not really a race scenario where this is going to benefit you i wouldn't say like because most enduro tracks even they have a little bit of pedaling i guess it could but i don't know it looked like all of them had crazy climbs in them this year so i was like so oh, it could, this it makes could sense benefit for, you in that it's like an, yeah like in a race scenario you would get that benefit of it's firming up for that like in my head in my head henry to get back to your original question is it necessary and is it that much better no it's not it's like it, it's what it's doing though is pretty impressive and for a lot of people like the way that it changes that bike they're gonna like that the way it makes it feel like a different bike it does improve the performance when climbing and some of these bigger bikes you know they have to sacrifice to be better on the downs than the ups so this kind of evens that out but as far as once we weigh in the factors like the cost um the noise i didn't like the noise of it changing modes all those things like even in, in my review i didn't i said it's not it's not a game changer it's not like it's not the next big thing but it's a cool option that's out there i have a theory about enduro bikes over the last few years we've seen these things become crazy versatile and you you guys know me i'm always thinking about climbing and even now like today me talking about enduro bikes climbing like man a lot of these things climb crazy well thanks to the the steep seat tubes and some impressive pedaling kinematic abilities that kind of stuff flight attendant when you factor in modern geometry that enduro bikes are using some crazy light wheels that are still strong and wide that you can get and now flight attendant is it just me or are enduro bikes getting incredibly versatile like i've ridden that enduro with flight attendant kaz we did a shuttle run but there was a lot of climbing on that so-called shuttle run and man the pedaling that bike like like you said it turns into something just that's in way more versatile which you know for a racer yeah there's times when that might help but i think this is really for just the mountain biker to me that's where it seems like it would have the biggest advantage eh? yeah i think so and like yeah it's it's interesting that, but then also like I, I have that enduro here and then I'm also testing the Orbea Rallon. Um, and that bike pedals super well. It has no live valve or I'm sorry, not live valve. We'll talk about live valve in a bit, but it has no flight attendant on it. Um, so going back and forth, I didn't miss flight attendant. So that was, that was what in my mind I was like, huh, I don't really like, I wasn't like, Ooh, I wish I had flight attendant. This would make this ride so much better. It was like, no, this bike pedals great. Like with a coil shock. So uh, yeah, I don't know. How do you feel the flight attendant went on trails that are the type of climbing that you'd actually want your suspension unlocked and you actually want it to be going into the stroke? Chunky, high power output winches. How do you think, do you think it complemented it or or hindered it somewhat? Yeah, it does well. Like I'd say probably, like I said, you can adjust the bias a little bit. So if you wanted that more active, a little softer feel, you could drop it down a notch. But um, I'd say that when it does hit bumps and things, it opens up so that it can be in that um, lighter setting basically. And, and it can do both. So it could have your fork, like say you smash something with your fork, your fork could potentially be in full open and then your, um, shock be in that pedal mode or lockout mode. So it's, it's smart enough to kind of differentiate. But would it say, say, you know, you're, com you're coming up on a, a slight climb that's relatively smooth, lock, lock, mm -hmm. lock, 
and then you're going into rough chunder and it would give you it would tailor the support adequately for what the mm-hmm. trail demands as and then yeah exactly it's it's quick enough to do that it's it's pretty smart even some of the i purposely took it on trails i thought would be tricky trying to like yeah basically trick the system so you know like a a steep descent into a sudden climb that's where i wondered it like would it change quick enough and i found that it was really nice and natural like how that change goes and i think part of that has to do with that it, it knows if you're pedaling or not so it kind of can change like it might hold off on switching modes until you're pedaling again so that way you can kind of like absorbs the bumps and then um then firms up so there's a lot going on in that algorithm but i do think that they did a good job making it like if you just if you put earplugs in and couldn't hear it hear it changing modes it would feel like pretty amazing can you tell me how this is different than live valve it's wireless (laughs) (laughs) there's that but that's another topic about but yeah as far as live valve prioritizes the suspension being locked out basically and then open is kind of what happens when it's not locked out where with this it prioritizes being open and then locked out is what it does so they're kind of like two different ways to tackle the same task and I think for these bigger bikes, you obviously want to benefit from that open suspension performance. So it works well. Is there any way that either of these suspension systems can be incorporated with my head unit that flashes up a message saying, good boy, if I do well on a climb or anything like that? <laughs> oh, you just need a uh, Garmin for that. It can uh, do the good jump when you go in the air. Oh, it could do the oh, good nice. jump. Yeah. Yeah. Be... <laughs> the only thing is it doesn't live stream that I've done a good jump to all my 12 oh, followers yeah. on Instagram. So <laughs> Coming soon. Cats. They're working on that. <laughs> You yeah. you mentioned something called bias adjustment. We should probably talk about the adjustments that the system offers, how you adjust them, and what that affects on the trail. So first off, uh, rebound adjustment. Where do I do it? It still has it, I assume, right? Still has it. Still the old old location. It's not tied into the system at all. It's on the bottom of the uh, the right fork leg. Same thing as you had before. And like we said, the rebound's not affected at all, no matter what mode this is, so that you always know how your suspension will feel. Um so that's kind of a separate thing. What about low speed compression? Because we got some big changes there. Yeah, those are happening on the top of the fork where there's typically a dial, but instead there's some buttons. Or you can even adjust it with the app, which I found really funny. To, you could open an app and change your compression yeah, on no your fork. You. Okay, your weirder shock. though, <laughs> I have heated socks and they have an app where you can adjust the temperature of your heated socks. So I was like, oh yeah, that part's pretty normal. I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I- and... Hey, Kaz, that control module on the fork, it adjusts the compression for not just the fork, but also the shock as well, doesn't it? Which is crazy. Yeah, Yeah. and you do it separately. So you can have, it lights up, there's like a blue light and then a lighter blue light, depending if you're doing the fork or the shock. And uh, I should say that you're a lot, you can, you could get the whole thing up and running without ever using the app technically, but you kind of need that app because it has nice instructions that tell you how to calibrate it and all that. And so you do need some Wi-Fi or cell service to be able to access the instructions that are on the app. So, um, but overall, everything you don't you can go on a ride and never have to take your phone out, which is nice. What's bias adjust? So bias adjust is how eager the system is to go to that lock full lockout mode. So if you wanted it to be more to place a higher priority on being full locked out, fully locked out, you can click the button and press it up to it'd be like plus two bias. Uh, zero is the default setting and then there's also negative two which would be if you wanted the bike to be more open more often it just kind of depends on what you're what you prefer i ended up preferring plus one bias which was like a little more efficient um but the most efficient position or the most the one that places the most priority on being locked out i found that it was trying to switch to that mode too often like i would just hear it like going it was always trying to be locked out and it just annoyed me so could you feel that on the trail like did it feel like the bike was 
firmer than you would want it to be too often or is it just the sound that was annoying? it was just the sound it just sounded really busy i wanted it to chill out so i just okay. knocked it down a notch and i was like calm down yeah so with the fork i think well i think actually so done a really good job of it actually looking pretty incorporated it doesn't look gangly it's all i think they've done a really good job there especially on the shock the fork does have that kind of sort of overbite off the back of the crown which might not be to everyone's taste can you run it with just the cadence sensor and the rear shock do you have to run the fork as well you need the fork because that's where like the main brain resides is Mm. in that top thing in that in that unit it's actually the rear shock capability i'm not really fussed about the fork Mm -hmm. it's the rear shock that actually interests me more you need all three components. So you need that control mm. module on the fork, the motor module on the shock. And then the big thing is that pedal sensor. And SRAM says that that's how the system, um, they, they use the word predictive, but basically it's just, it just knows when you're pedaling or when you're coasting and, and takes it from there. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like, yeah, Henry, I'm kind of with you. Like as I was riding it, like I, I like trying this stuff out. Even I'm not a big fan of batteries or electronics or all that, but like it's kind of it's always cool to see what's new and out there. And in my mind, I was thinking if they could just get a nice little wireless electronic lockout for the rear shock, just like super low profile, maybe even use a smaller battery and then just like a little blip button, that'd be kind of a cool feature. And then forget about the fork. I don't care if my fork is locked out or not. Um, yeah, I don't care about the fork either. In fact, yeah. often I'm happy for it to sit a bit deeper into the stroke and kind of mm-hmm. steepen up your bike a bit, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. But maybe that's a more of a me thing than everyone thinks. I mean, I think it... Like I said, I think it does look pretty good. And my grumpiness aside, I think they have done a really good job. And I think it's it's going to be really interesting where, you know, this whole ecosystem, which is uh, a yeah, lovely relentless ecosystem. Ecosystem. <laughs> ecosystem. I mean, they have to call it something. Yeah. Um, it'd be really cool where it takes us, you know. Hmm. And like I said, it does come back to me. Like, does it make it, is it better or different? I think right now for me it's merely different, but it'd be interesting when it make it when it makes it better. No, yeah, Henny, I recommend you hopping on that enduro and just giving it a try. Since you spent some time on the the non-electronic suspension enduro, just take the uh, take the S works out and give it a try. You know, just want a nice cruise on a twelve thousand five hundred dollar bike. Just it's, a, it's worth checking out. Yeah. It's, it is interesting, and so everyone that's um, skeptical, I think that it's it's worth trying just to see if it fits their needs. I mean, obviously price and everything is crazy, but it's a an interesting execution. Kaz, did you have any, do you have any concerns at this point? You've had a month on it. You've done a ton of descending. It sounds like you're pretty happy with how the system worked, but on the descents, that's what everybody cares about. Does it, was there at any point, did it like firm up when you weren't expecting it or do anything at all that you weren't expecting? I mean, you did tons of runs in Whistler with this thing. Before the embargo lifted, by the way, you didn't even get you didn't even get caught. Nobody saw <laughs> no, it. <laughs> well, they did. It was pretty fun in the lift line at Whistler. There's always people like looking at it, and I'm like, this one dude just kept like yelling at me, like, what about? like he was just yelling stuff. And I was like, man, you don't even know me. Why are you yelling at me? Like, yes, this is new stuff. You can <laughs> Sorry about that, Mike. Uh, <laughs> you know, like again. trolls. <laughs> yeah, like he was, didn't even was cover like, it. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> well, I mean, because it had already been raced in the EWS, so I didn't feel too worried about having mm. it two days before the embargo lifted. And I did. I really did want to get some whistle laps and just to like confirm my other impressions. But I actually. Um, yeah. bumped into someone on the trails and they said I saw Mike Kazuma yesterday with this thing on his forks what is it and I was like uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was, it was pretty funny like I don't, obviously with stuff like this I usually avoid public places and crowds but it was close enough and I just it worked out but uh 
but anyways, back to your question, as far as on the descents, no, it's been working great. Like the only, I did have a time where like I, I hit a bump mid mode change. Like I think it was either opening or firming up and I hit like a root or something and it made a weird, like kind of grindy, crunchy noise that didn't sound great, but that was the one instance and it didn't affect the feel of like what the bike was doing. I think it just kind of like just, it was changing while I hit an impact. Yeah. So you've got two Enduros casts. They're both the exact same bike. They both have Zeb Ultimates and Super Deluxe Ultimates. One has Flight Attendant and one doesn't. Are you going to grab that Flight Attendant bike? Like, is it an advantage that's worth having? What, are you picking it? Uh, you know, I'm actually not. Like, really? Really? Yeah, because I really don't like the batteries. Like, really? And the no, and the but noise. you didn't have yeah. any problems with it. And it makes the bike so much more versatile. I don't want to charge them. And I don't like it has a little lockout lever on the like the Enduro already has a lockout lever on the shock. I know the people at RockShox and SRAM that just spent nine years working on this are like, Casmer's an idiot. He doesn't know. But like <laughs> I'm grateful. Yeah. I know. Like we spent a decade now he doesn't like it. Like I do think it's it is really good. Like it works great. But for me, I just really don't want batteries on my bike because it's yeah, yes. like, and plus around here, like I also have to say the terrain around here tends to be those longer fire road grinds and then a steep descent. So it's like, I can just lock it out if I really want to firm it up and I'm going uphill, 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 and I go downhill, 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 somewhere rolling terrain, like Sedona or somewhere. This could be pretty cool. Cause you're going to get some of those like flat bits, weird punchy climbs. Like there are places where it'll make a lot of sense. Cause they're just batteries though. Like you just, you just put them on a charger when you get home. It's not a big deal. It's like lubing your chain. What's yeah, but this bike now has four batteries if you have a full access bike. So it has the battery for the derailleur, the battery for the dropper post, the battery yeah. for your shock, the battery for your fork. And then that's not including the one that's in your pedal sensor that'll have to be charged eventually. Or, and or then your the GoPro battery. battery that you always use. <laughs> yeah. And then there's also the battery in each of the shifters. So there's a lot going on. Like, I Where's just, your Garmin? <laughs> yeah, I don't use those either because I don't like batteries. But... <laughs> uh, huh. And then, like, another thing, as I was riding it, like, I wonder if they can ever come out with some kind of, like, crazy dongle that'll connect all of the things together so you can just plug one plug into your wall. You know, like, because you have all these individual yeah, little batteries. Like, down the road. Somehow. It seems like a minor inconvenience, the batteries. Like, charging batteries? You charge your phone every single day. I charge yeah, my laptop I'm, right now. I barely now. remember <laughs> to do that. Like, I, I don't know. Like, right. that, so someone's not going to be happy, but I just don't like the battery. The electronic, wireless, all that stuff. I don't I care. I sympathize like, with that. Yeah, I, 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 I want to know I'm if you so, could choose between Fox Live Valve and Flight Attendant. Oh, <laughs> Which I would, would definitely you? pick Flight Attendant. Yeah, Flight Attendant works a lot better than Live Valve does. They're very different. <laughs> it's a very different, different thing. Yeah, and to be <laughs> yeah. fair, I'm sure they're working on different versions of Live Valve. Like, it's been a while since I spent any time on a Live Valve bike. So, yeah, um, Live Valve's old now. Yeah, so I bet they're working on more things. Um, yeah. Yeah. Kaz... I'm honestly surprised that you would choose the non-flight attendant bike specifically just because you don't want batteries. Like in my mind, it is an advantage on the trail. And I mean, charging batteries isn't a big deal. We should actually actually also talk about battery life. Yeah, and battery well. life, yeah, it is It is good. I think I charged them once and I probably didn't need to. Um, but yeah, is I it think it's... 20, 30 for the fork and 30, 40 mm -hmm. for the shock, I think uh yeah around there so about the same as your derailleur i think your derailleur battery will actually die before your um suspension would and then your dropper probably lasts a little longer so you're looking at you know yeah around 24 hours or so of constant use so uh, yeah yeah that's a, that's a good decent number of rides for most people i mean i'd say most people's rides are probably only a couple hours right so it's 12 rides so 
couple of yeah. weeks at least yeah. and probably once a month maybe for some people um yeah so battery you life don't is have fine. to charge all the batteries at the same time no you do you one yeah you know so you can have a little schedule be like monday seat post day <laughs> tuesday <laughs> just derail it put it in well, your google calendar so you what? get updates sent right <laughs> you, to your phone you actually you do the app actually tells you how much battery it sends you a notification like your seat post battery is running low you should charge it it tells you that yeah that's like a real no, thing thank you yeah so it's good yeah it does it yeah. does that um yeah there's also the noise factor which I, I mean i'm pretty sensitive to noise i would say my big ears take a lot of noises in so i like quiet and when you're on like a nice quiet climb which i kind of like the whole like nature outdoors by myself no one around but then when you hear it going like you ride an e-bike kaz stop saying you like the quiet you ride an e-bike Right, but I don't just ride an e-bike. I ride regular bikes without motors. <laughs> and then, and I wish e-bikes didn't make any noise at all, too. I can still not yeah. like noise and still ride an e-bike once in a while. So an yeah, e-bike with true. flight attendant? There you go. There you e-bike, go. What, yeah. flight attendant, GoPro, a tire whiz on each end, an e-verb seat post, 10 yeah, batteries. See, if you put it on an e-bike, why not just run it all to that big, giant battery that you're carrying around already? And then you yeah. could have like one thing. That seems I like did good. see that comment, and that that makes complete sense. And that actually brings us to the future, Kaz. If this is today, if flight attendant is today, I want you to speculate what we're going to see in five years. Just take some wild guesses for me. Five years? I mean, I would definitely think you'd see some better integration on the e-bike side of things. It just seems like it would make sense to kind of have. I know. I feel like there's one model that SRAM has where you can plug your derailleur into the bike itself and it charges off of all one thing i think there's something oh. working yeah um i should also note that i prefer cabled derailleurs versus the battery one too i didn't even say that so i'm on the non-battery thing i don't know why you're surprised because i'd rather go with like yeah xl1 I'm, versus axis so i'm an axis yeah. guy i know um but yeah so as far as that i can see this becoming like in the e-bike world you could really integrate it better um and in future versions i think that the the pretty good feeling that SRAM has other things up their sleeve as far as what they can roll out with this, like probably some shock whizzy type of things. I could see mm -hmm. that happening. We've seen some little pictures floating around of something on the other side of forks. Um, so I think there's more, more there, maybe a little more data analysis of like what's happening during a ride. But, um, I'd like to see it get a little even smaller. It doesn't take up a ton of room, but like if they can make a little smaller, a little lighter, it's like it, it does add uh, a three quarters of a pound almost to your bike. That's, you know, we're talking about big enduro bikes, but that's still a decent chunk. Like that's the difference between like lighter casing tires and double down tires. And people, you know, notice that obviously it's rolling weight, but there's different things. Sarah, are you convinced by flight attendant? I really want to try it. It sounds really cool. I don't mind charging batteries. I mean, Casimir hasn't really sold it on me, sold me on it here, but <laughs> I, I'm still excited to try it. Yeah. I think Casimir it, hates technology though. We know that. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean. <laughs> I feel like there's always like the racer in my the back of my mind that I'm like, well, even like Loic Bruni in like a World Cup downhill race was like trying to make his suspension more firm at like the last one of the season. And Jesse Melamed in the middle of a race was like switching his, you know, uh, uh, climb switch. So his ride know. nine chip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big ride. Yeah. So Sarah, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that. So. A few days ago, we interviewed, we did a really long form interview with Greg Menar that uh, we're going to post at some point in the near future. Uh, and we were talking about the Honda RN01 and its Showa suspension. And he was talking about how his Showa shock, Showa way shock. back then, had a 
electronic lockout and he would hit the lockout switch in the air on jumps so that he would land and he could get a couple pedal strokes in and it was actually it was a timed thing and it would unlock after a set period of time and like so for fort william he had it set for like two or three seconds and then it would unlock so he could charge for two (laughs) or three seconds and then it would open up again which is pretty crazy that's pretty crazy although i just think of like they're pretty good at doing things in the air like ripping off their yeah. tear-offs and i'm like oh gosh they're gonna die and it's like oh yeah, yeah no big deal like this is just what we do yeah henry has flight attendant convinced you that wireless self-adjusting suspension is the future where do you sit on this having not ridden it i think it is the future whether i like it or not i think that it's gonna be really interesting where it takes us i think the thing for flight attendants, maybe we haven't talked about so much, and I wonder to a certain extent, is of the bikes we had on field test, for instance, like that Norco range. Now that is a good candidate for a flight attendant, right? Mm-hmm. Because, it, you know, that sort of bike, it might maybe, you know, in the most uh, sort of optimistic sense, free up bike design from the constraints of needing to have to be compromised through their kinematics, etc., because it could just do it all electronically and you know, and just do it all from the shock and not, not necessarily um, trying to pack it all in with, with how the bike handles accelerations. Am I convinced? I don't think it's for me, but I really respect that it's for other people. Um, like, it's funny because I'm someone that I'm always harking on about, oh, you know, new standards are great. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> and this is one of those things where I take on this thing of like how I feel that I want other people to feel about standards is that I'm like, this isn't for me, but hey, if someone wants to do it, you know good luck to him fair enough and i do think yeah i'm with you i think it could be cool to see like if you had a, if someone was designing a bike and just knew they didn't have to worry about its pedaling performance because this was there to like take up that that portion of it it'd be cool to see how that turned out um, and i also see this i'm kind of interested to try a version of it with the in the shorter travel mode like in the um that one like say 150 by or 130 to 150 bike like your more trail bike kind of bike where you might be riding more of that rolling terrain and if you had that bike where it could feel nice and plush and open in the open setting, but then nice and efficient for those those climbs, it could be a, a cool option. Kaz, something like this on like a 140-ish, 150-ish bike, maybe a little quicker handling in somewhere like Sedona or Moab would be unstoppable, I feel like. Yeah, it'd be cool. Especially one that had like in the open position, it felt like just super active and able to suck up all those square edge bumps, but then have that firmness. I think that could be a... Yeah pretty interesting uh interesting concept yeah and we're we're obviously going to see a cross-country focused version of this at some point soonish i would imagine i thought we were going to see it for the olympics but i don't think anybody was running it there Uh, but i mean that makes all the sense in the world one thing we should also talk about that I think has been lost in all this flight attendant stuff is that RockShox has made some pretty notable changes to their forks and shocks that don't have anything to do with electronics. Kaz, tell me about that stuff. Yeah, and this is actually probably the stuff I'm most excited about. Um, starting with the shock, there's now going to be the option to have a hydraulic bottom out. Um, that's one of the, the versions of the shock that companies will be able to spec, and I'd assume eventually maybe you'd be able to buy that aftermarket. So um that means it's it's basically impossible to have a harsh bottom out, which is super nice. So you can, um, especially bikes that aren't might not be quite as progressive. If you had a hydraulic bottom out option, it gets a ramp up in the shock. Kaz, we used a system similar to that on a Manitou fork. 
right? And we, we both like that. That was adjustable on that fork. This isn't adjustable on the shock, but it's a super effective system. And also, it's also common in motocross forks and shocks. A hydraulic bottom-out system works mm-hmm. really well. Yep. So there's that's in the shock. I don't think there's too much different in the shock um, compared to the typical super deluxe you could get now. But then in the fork has some more um, notable changes. You get the little uh, pressure relief valves on the fork lowers now. So you can push that button, uh, lets air out that's been trapped in there. Like for years, we've been using the zip tie trick where you take a zip tie and stick it behind the wiper to let the air that's trapped in there. And that can have an effect on the bike, on the uh, fork small bump sensitivity. It just has a little extra trapped air basically so yeah it's, it's cool to see those obviously they're not the first because other companies have obviously fox. used yeah so obviously fox has them for a few years and now um now rockshox has them and also the cool thing called the buttercups which it's a little hard to describe but basically now at the bottom of each the air spring and the damper side there's a little elastomer uh, for lack of a better word i don't know the difference between elastomer and rubber do you like what if no. i say the word elastomer is that wrong just no that's fine Okay, I just think That's of like good. old, yeah. like Judy elastomers. So just they found the old rubber. Judy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's like there's a little piece of rubber on the bottom of each um, the damper or the air spring side, and basically that helps absorb that those initial impacts, that kind of chattery stuff. And I would say that this Zeb compared to the the current Zeb, it does feel better in that type of stuff. You get to run through some washboard bumps, and it feels super good. Um, yeah. So interesting concept. I want to know what happens in the cold because it is a a piece of rubber so is it going to firm up or i would assume they'd done some research and probably found some stuff that can withstand some temperature changes but mm-hmm. that's a pretty cool concept that buttercup thing it's more than just just a bumper at the bottom it's actually so you're like the bottom of your air rod and your damper rod like where the foot bolt bolt goes in there's actually a rubber tiny rubber bumper on the top and bottom section of it and then they're sandwiched between uh, uh, this piece of aluminum that threads together. So it's it lets the the foot of the rod actually float a tiny bit in the lowers. Float is probably too strong of a word. It's just sort of uh, held in place between the upper and lower bumper. And yeah, apparently it takes away some of the high-speed vibrations and, and helps with that. And I could see it working for sure. Yeah. I mean, like riding this year or right now, the bike park, Whistle Bike Park is about, the brake bumps are about as tall as they ever get. And so <laughs> with this, I was like, oh yeah, it's doing it's, it's doing its job. Like it felt nice and comfy. So um, yeah, those are the two biggest things. The air springs changed a little bit, but um, but those are, yeah, the buttercups and then the, the air bleed valves. And, you know, RockShox's official stance is we're always working on new things. We can't say if these will go over the other forks, but I would put any amount of money that we'll see these eventually in the next generation of the zeb and probably the pike and all that too all right that is it for our chat about flight attendant which means we're going to wrap this up with comment gold we've got one comment and this is taken from underneath casimir's flight attendant review this is apparently the robot from terminator t1000 says i'm getting worried that in a few years time my bike will not work if i lose my phone that's a valid concern i feel like we're getting close. <laughs> <laughs> All right, T1000. In a couple of years, I might share that worry. But that is it for this podcast today. Let us know in the comments what you guys think of Flight Attendant. Are you guys interested? Is it a no way for you as soon as there are batteries and things changing when it comes to suspension? I think it's pretty neat, but maybe it's not for you. Let us know in the comments and tell us 
what you want to hear us talk about next week. At this point, I don't even know what next week's podcast is going to be about. You guys always have great ideas and make sure to like and rate the podcast in whichever app you used to listen to us on. And we'll see you next week. 